Welcome to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. Each week we explore questions of faith, community, and identity. This is Jessica Chen Fing, and I'm your host for this season as we dive into issues of mental and relationship health. Thank you for joining us. Well, I'm really delighted to have a wonderful guest with us today. We have Dr. Barbara Kim. She is professor of Asian American Studies in the Department of Asian and Asian American Studies at California State University, Long Beach. Welcome, Barbara. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. Barbara is known for some research in this field, and today's topic is, we're we're titling it Intergenerational Hope navigating connection with our parents. And we know with our Asian American identity and family culture that this is a huge part of what many of us think about. We have thought about it through our upbringing, our teen years, and maybe as we grow older, there's a lot of new things that we wonder about. And so we're just hoping to to chat with Barbara today and learn a lot from who she is and her research. So Barbara, could you share with us how you would describe challenges that people have with their parents or parents as Asian Americans, and and also as Christians too, if that's a part of what you've seen. So my co-author, Grace Yu, who is in the Department of Asian American Studies at San Francisco State University, she and I did a research project, which was published in 2014. It's a book called Caring Across Generations. In that research study, we began by asking some questions in a previous research topic, which was looking at how Korean immigrant entrepreneurs, do they have health insurance because they're self-employed? Do they have retirement funds? And then that conversation led to who is responsible for helping first-generation immigrants who have lived and worked and aged in the United States? Um, Mm -hmm. How are they preparing for retirement? And what are the 1.5 and second generation children who are now adults, how are they um, helping their parents or what are some of the expectations around caregiving? We were interested in looking at intergenerational uh, relations between aging parents and adult children of immigrants. I think what we found is that there are so many issues that kind of get resolved in sort of what we call middle adulthood or sandwich generation. Those with aging parents and younger children, our respondents didn't fight with their parents about education anymore or majors or hopefully (laughs) jobs. So some of those battles had been sort of behind them. And so I think a lot of the adult children were able to reassess their relationship with their parents as they grew older. And the parents did too, because they were no longer worried about some of those same issues that they were fighting over when the children were younger. That's interesting. So that's probably a really encouraging point of data, right? For yes. for younger people who might be wrestling with what their parents think about who they're dating, what they're studying, right. their career path. So why did that happen in this age range? Oh, you mean why did the relationships get better? Yeah, or those things just resolve or, or go away? I think in general, but some of our respondents who are largely in their late 20s and 30s and 40s. So I think some of them had just followed what their parents wanted to do, but in a twist in a way that also helped them fulfill their own goals and um, expectations. 
I think some of them rebelled against their parents and did something completely different. And I think by the time in, um, when they were in their 30s, for example, I think the parents had sort of given up and at that time uh, in terms of wanting to have their children be molded to exactly what they wanted to do. So I think the children found a way to either incorporate their parents' expectations into what they wanted to do. And again, whether it's dating partners or uh, career choices or other anything else. And I think the parents just also realized that their children had, did have their own lives. And I think as the, the adult children, as the, as the second generation became more established and pursued what they wanted to do, and they weren't all successful and they weren't all, they didn't have this um, straight path. But I think as they pursued their own path, I think they became also much more confident in what they were doing. And I think the parents kind of let that go. So that seemed to be a good way to do that. Yes, no, that, that's wonderful to hear. Um, I'm wondering if some of our listeners are curious about, so the first generation, maybe when they were younger, had these expectations and hopes for the children. Mm-hmm. What is that about? How do we understand those strong preferences? Mm-hmm. So when we look at many of the research studies, especially based on, again, the adult children of immigrants, I think a lot of the children of immigrants keenly feel the cultural expectations, but it's the cultural expectations of, let's say, giving back to their families or feeling like there are certain cultural norms by taking care of their parents. But those are very much structured around the discrimination or the lack of opportunities or the barriers that the parents experienced in the United States because of their immigration and because of racial discrimination, other barriers. So I think the children realized that those were issues that even though they may not have gotten along with their parents and even though they might have fought with their parents a lot and they didn't necessarily like each other, they still recognized that there was a lot of sacrifice. And so they kind of took that and made it into something that they wanted to give back to their parents. Mm, I see. So even if it were if, if it was t- a tense relationship, mm-hmm. adult children could see the sacrifices, the sort of contextual issues impacting their parents and the family. And it led them to kind of appreciate in a way. Yes. And I think also to further answer your question, I think the parents came with a lot of expectations. And for a lot of the parents in our um, respondents' experience, they didn't always, in fact, many of them didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve where they thought they were going to achieve. For example, they would run small businesses and they would fail. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think they had a lot of disappointments in their lives. So again, it's that if you're disappointed in your own immigrant experience and it's not what you expected it to be at all, then you always Mm -hmm. pin all those hopes on the second generation, which is tremendous burden on mm-hmm. the children of immigrants. But they've also been doing a lot of work as children of immigrants all their lives, uh, not just Asian Americans, obviously, but many, uh, but children of immigrants, uh, regardless of race and ethnicity. Um, they've always been doing work like translating and talking to, to um, people of the dominant society, filling out paperwork. So many of the work that they do is to also help the family, even though they might be a lot younger, but doing very adult responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of children, immigrants were kind of used to that. And I think they kind of carried it on so that as their relationship got better, they kind of saw it as giving back to their parents in the next stage. And so as parents became older, maybe they retired, maybe they became ill. So then the children would would step up. 
I and again, it wasn't because the children were, they all had wonderful relationships with their families. And many of them actually spent a lot of their 20s and 30s repairing those relationships as well. Mm, wow. No, I, I appreciate what you're sharing. And I'm thinking about how for adult children to be able to recognize within their parents that the pressures that they gave them earlier is not necessarily just to put pressure on the kids, but it's a it's flowing out of their own personal stress, their challenges too. And in that, the expectations get translated to another generation because they were so significant in the immigrant journey. Right. I think we talk a lot about intergenerational transfer of trauma in different ethnic groups and different groups, uh, whether they've been experiencing, um, whether the first generation experienced war or any other very traumatic experiences. And so the second generation may not have lived through it, but they have sort of internalized it because they have seen the effects in their, on, on their parents or their grandparents. So I think that that in some ways motivate them to then try to continue to do some of that repairing work for their parents or to fulfill some of those expectations. What we see is that immigration or migration, depending on why you came and how you came to the U.S., is something that really shapes relationships between parents and children. And we see that in the Asian American community because so many of us have come after 1965 again because of exclusionary laws yeah. prior to that. Yes. So what, what do you think about the importance of people knowing their family's migration story? We asked questions about that. And I think for many respondents, this study was just on Korean Americans. Mm -hmm. So some of them spoke Korean fluently or they understood Korean fairly well. Others did not. But some of the things that they did as adults were to recover what they did not know previously about, let's say, Asian history or Korean history, colonization, the Korean War. And so they try to educate themselves. They would take classes, for example, when they were in college. And so they said that that helped them understand their parents better because mm. they understood the context in which they came from. Yeah. And now South Korean immigrants are coming from very different types of historical, political, economic, social context. For most of our respondents, their parents and or grandparents had experienced the Korean War and the poverty and the trauma afterwards. Many of them had lived through um, the fight for democracy that Koreans were fighting for. So I think a lot of that political understanding of South Korean history, and especially contemporary history, I think helped them understand their parents more in adulthood. Wow, that's great. And if I can just speak in, in the practice that I had, that was true clinically when, when I worked with a lot of adult Asian Americans, when we started to explore those immigration stories and the history, it changes from, it can change from feeling resentful mm -hmm. to almost having empathy or connection. Yeah. Yes. So I think it's really important that our respondents sought to know the larger context of history, but also definitely then learn more about their own families, individual histories and experiences oh. as well. 
So maybe in line with that, you mentioned earlier, as people moved into their 20s and 30s, there was some work around repair. What does that look like? So as some of the respondents gained a lot of confidence pursuing their own education or learning particular skills or particular careers, and they felt that their parents didn't have as large say in what they did and the choices that they made. Um, I think that some of the respondents had grown up in households where they felt that their parents were very overbearing or their parents or particularly fathers had been very angry. There were a lot of yelling. There was a lot of, I think what some people did consider emotional and physical abuse. They weren't, this, this was not the majority of our respondents, but there were certainly people who talked about growing up in situations where they were constantly managing their parents and particularly their father's emotions and outbursts. So many of them actually then went back in the adulthood and they confronted their parents. So they would, um, if their father, let's say, or their mother tried to do that again, then they would call it out. And many of our respondents also sought either professional counseling and therapy to understand some of these issues and, and work it out with their parents so that they can go back to their parents and discuss it. Many of them turned to definitely church. They turned to their pastors. They turned to their friends and would discuss many of the issues that they had grown up with. And I think got a lot of um, support from their friends. And again, our Southern California respondents tended to be more plugged into churches or parachurches. So they tend to talk about how if they didn't go to their parents or someone, again, professional counselor, then they would go largely, mostly to their church friends. Hmm. Wow. So it's really kind of creating relational connections that could, they could talk to you about it, process, have a place to, to vent or um, be connected to. So much of it is realizing that you're not alone, that you're not the only one having these terrible discussions or relationship with your parents, or you may have a great relationship with your parents, but there's something, some issue over which you are fighting. And again, that may begin, maybe you're dating choices or the lack of dating. Um, singleness was actually a major issue for um, our respondents who are not married, that their parents are constantly wondering when they're going to get married, when they're going to date. And then for our queer respondents, and there was the additional burden, responsibility of feeling like they had to fit into this very heteronormative situation where they would have to find another Korean of an opposite sex and you know date and marry. So dating was a major issue, for example. And so I think those are some of the things that they had to work out and they got a lot I think people really sought out their friends and spiritual leaders sometimes for that help or for that just again to know that you're not the only one That's encouraging to hear and so you mentioned people also talked about reaching out to clinical support like psychological support? Yes. And in our study, it was usually the women. The women would say that they specifically wanted to seek counseling so they could resolve some issues that they felt really hindered them from loving their parents or having mm. a good relationship with their parents. The men didn't mention counseling as much. Okay. Uh, but the women who did um, seek counseling all found it very, very helpful. 
Wow. And I don't know if this was reflected in your study. You mentioned a little bit, but what about the role of faith and spirituality in terms of navigating years of stress around intergenerational relationships, how that might influence someone's journey? I think our San Francisco respondents did not tend to talk about the support that they got from their churches or their faith as much. And again, this is kind of a generalization. It seemed like our Southern California and Korean American respondents were more part of a church or faith-based community. And I think part of it was, again, having access to other Korean Americans or Asian Americans or other people of their own um, similar generations where they could have conversations about resources or having, you know, working out some relational aspect with their parents. Um, I think the other important issue was that uh, many of the parents, the first generation parents who attended church, that was their greatest social support system. And so the children also knew that without the churches, then their parents would not thrive as much, that they really gained a lot of support and a lot of networks and they were really busy, especially for children who live far away from their parents. Let's say somebody who lives in Southern California, but their parents are in Northern California someone who's in San Francisco, but their parents live in in Minnesota. So I think for that, knowing that their parents were plugged into faith-based communities, that was a very important reassurance for them to Mm. know that their parents had that support. And it just, it wasn't uh, just the children that they needed. They were very vibrant. (laughs) Almost like shared the burden a bit Mm -hmm. of of caregiving or support. Right. Um, Well, I'm wondering, because... I'm sure listeners are are reflecting upon a number of things. If our listeners are having a hard time with their parents, Mm -hmm. what's something you wish they would know or what would be something helpful? What the respondents who are in their 30s and 40s taught us was that even though you may have many conflicts with your parents, again, over majors or colleges or people that you date or want to marry, at the end of the day, they had to do what they needed to do. And they had to pursue what they truly wanted to. And I think what happened was for many of the respondents, once they became more established in what they pursued, and again, they may not be the most successful, quote unquote, the most successful person in this field. But I think if they pursued something with all their heart and their strength and their energy, the parents tended to come around. Many of the parents tended to come around. Let's say they didn't necessarily like the choice of your partner. They tended to come around, especially after the grandchildren were born for those who had children. So I think people try to really honor their parents, but also create their own lives. And I think even the parents admitted it when they were older, that it was really their life Mm -hmm. and that they could not live the, exactly the life that their parents wanted them to live. It might have been a very brutal and a hard process, but at the end, the children and the, the parents seem to be better for it. The second generation were also just much stronger, I think, too. So if their parents are still disapproving, then they could be okay. Hmm. They, they were okay with that. Yeah. Wow. This is actually really fascinating for me as a clinician listening because First, it's hopeful, but it makes a lot of sense to me, right? This development of self, 
um, understanding who you are, what's important to you. You're, you're navigating this bicultural identity, but if you can be grounded in your sense of self while you care about your parents' preferences, but as you move older, it is your sense of self that you have to be okay with. Yes. And let me give an example because, for example, dating. Many of the single, never married persons, they thought about the fact that there, many of their parents, again, in this study, wanted, to, wanted their children to marry other Koreans. So there was a, a lot of pressure to marry co-ethnics or date co-ethnics. Um, and then if you, again, if you're a Christian, then there's a lot of expectation from church and church leaders that you're supposed to date a Christian. So then whether you like it or not, there, that's a lot of pressure on you to find that perfect bicultural co-ethnic person <laughs> with the same faith. And so if there's somebody who really, you, you may like, right, but is not that person, then I think there was almost this, oh, this person, I cannot date this person because my parents or my church or, right, or will not approve. So I think that was something that was very strong. And so if for people who were never married in the 30s, let's for, for example, then that became something where you had to sort of reassess and you kind of had to deprogram yourself because whether you like it or not, it, it was such a strong pressure coming from different sides. And that may have structured how people thought about whom you can date and whom you can marry. Yeah. So that might be something, again, the process might be hard. And then at a certain point, you have to reassess that for yourself. And yeah. then again, parents, might also, and actually many of the times the parents did come around as well. Mm, yeah. So it didn't have to be that perfect co-ethnic Christian. The way it feels, even as you're describing that, is when someone's in the thick of it, it can feel so like you're being cornered and, and it's a very narrow perspective, but it's like with growing older and developing the sense of self, it, it expands and you can see beyond the, the boundaries that were placed for you. And for example, we had a respondent where there was tremendous pressure on her to go to medical school. And we always hear sort of stereotypes about that. And she ended up going to medical school. But after she graduated, she took a, a much lower income a job serving a refugee community and a low income community because she knew that that's where really the need was and that's where her heart was. And so she had sort of fulfilled her parents' ambitions and goals, but she did exactly what she wanted to do in terms of grounding her medicine practice into something that was doing the work that she saw that she wanted to do as a Christian, very much serving the community. So I think that was another example of how somebody who would be influenced, but at the same time, take it to a level and take it to some place where she felt that that was where God wanted her to be. That's a nice, nice yeah. outcome there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't work for everybody, but yes, it happened to work for her. Yeah. Well, as we're closing up, I'm wondering about, you know, your research study you mentioned is primarily Korean Americans. To the degree that you know, how can some of what we've talked about today be relevant for other types of Asian Americans? Grace and I give talks on caregiving or intergenerational relations often. And especially on college campuses, we have many children of other immigrants, all racial and ethnic backgrounds in our audience. And Almost all of them, whether they're Asian American or not, can relate to some of these situations about wanting to fulfill some of the goals of their parents, not just because it's a cultural norm, but because they've seen the sacrifices and the hardship and the barriers that their parents have faced in the United States. 
States. Mm -hmm. So I think even though our study is based on Korean Americans, again, the conversations that I have with my Asian American and Pacific Islander students on campus as well, tells me that this is something that they wrestle with. And they're very mindful of how to, again, negotiate what they want to do with wanting to have caregiving and intergenerational relations as something that is just beyond what you want to do. It's something that really affects the entire family and the household, and they know that responsibility. Wow. So just this, I'm just impacted by the generational influence of immigration is so significant. It, it connects all of us to one another because we've witnessed what happens with our parents and the lives they've led of sacrifice. And then, and then we kind of carry it with us. And, and as we grow older, there's something that we're responding to um, as we've noticed that for our whole lives. Well, Barbara, thanks so much for chatting today. This I've learned so much from your research and I'm so glad it's out there. A reminder to people that there's a great book that Barbara and her colleague Grace have put out there. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad that we are having, more conversations about what it's like to have intergenerational relations when the parents and the children are both aging in a different life course. Thank you for tuning in to Centering, the Asian American Christian Podcast. This episode was edited by Alexander Cathedral and produced by Jason Chu with music by Mark Redito. We'll see you next time and hope that you remember God loves all of you.